Ministry Mentorship, Episode 48. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of developing them in their ministry. We have a great podcast uh, set up today with Pastor Terry Pugh and this is the first part of a two-part series. Brother Pugh is the pastor in Odessa, Texas and he has just some tremendous insight into these ministry topics and, and finances, and uh, you're going to enjoy this session today. Uh, we just came out of our general conference last week, and what an incredible time we had. If you've never been to a United Pentecostal Church general conference, I strongly encourage you to attend. Uh, I believe next year it's going to be in Tennessee, and uh, you won't want to miss that. It's going to be an incredible time. This last year they raised over four, I believe it was almost four and a half million dollars for missions, over $300,000 in the North American Mission Service, and there was just some tremendous preaching ministry. Uh, Brother Bernard spoke on Friday night and, and encouraged my spirit and my heart, and I would strongly recommend that if you can, uh, you'd make an effort to be there next year. And I know it will be a great blessing to you. Every year that it's been in St. Louis, my family comes into town from Minnesota. And so we had a lot of people over at our house. I'm the second of nine kids. And I had three of my siblings that stayed with us over the weekend and and my parents. And what a great time we had. And I wonder if uh, you could help us with something. We are putting together a, a beginner's guide to ministry and I'd love to get your feedback and your help with this. Uh, I'd like for you to to help us by writing down one sentence that describes ministry. So in one sentence, what do you think is the essential description of ministry? And if you could send that to uh, my email address, it's jacob at ministrymentorship.com, or you can go to our Facebook page, uh, backslash ministrymentorship, and we'd love to get your help with that. We do have, uh, we have heard from several of you over the last couple of months. And I just want to take the minute to read a couple of these letters. One of these is from Travis. And he says, thank you for your ministry mentorship site. Uh, it's been a blessing, especially the podcast and Bible studies that I listen to during my daily commute. Uh, it is a wonderful ministry. Thank you, Travis, for that encouraging letter. And then Hunter uh, says, I would just like to say thank you for all that you do. This podcast has been such a blessing to my life. Through ministry mentorship, I've been able to hear of the extraordinary lives and experiences of great men and women of God. I've been a dedicated listener for about a year, thanks to my student pastor who recommended it to me. It has truly helped my ministry and servanthood to the kingdom of God. And I would just like to say thank you again for all that your entire team do. God bless. And uh, this is again from a young man named Hunter. And Hunter, we appreciate uh, that letter. And uh, just thank you for those of you that have, have given us your support and uh, sent out a Facebook message, tweeted, whatever whatever you've done to help spread the word about ministry mentorship. In part one of this interview, we're going to be talking with Pastor Terry Pugh. And, and Brother Pugh has a passion to invest in young ministers. And I know that you're going to be blessed as you uh, sense the, the desire that he has to 
to help us prepare for our future and to, to really be men and women of God uh, that have integrity in our lives. And I, I hope that you'll pass this along to somebody that you feel like could benefit from the discussion that we have today. Let's join the conversation now. We're glad to have Brother Terry Pugh with us today. He is the pastor of the First United Pentecostal Church of Odessa, and he has been in ministry for uh, 40 years. He's been a uh, district superintendent uh, for several years, and we're very honored to have him talking with us today. Brother Pugh, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. This is an honor to be able to talk with you today. Now, tell us just a little bit of your story. I was raised in a preacher's home, and that has some positive experiences and some negative experiences, the positive being that uh, you you learn a lot about ministry without even knowing that you're learning it. And uh, the benefit that's the most obvious is that uh, all of your life you meet a lot of preachers, and as far as I'm concerned, preachers are probably the finest species of people on the planet. And so uh, growing up in a preacher's home gave me an opportunity to be associated with this kind of people all my life. So that's the positives. The negatives for a lot of preacher's kids is that uh, when people get frustrated with their dad, they take it out on the kids, and mm. as a result of that, a lot of preacher's kids can end up being pretty damaged and bitter. Uh, I didn't, I didn't experience that, but I—that's one of the negatives I've seen yeah. growing up with preacher's kids around me. Uh, and then sometimes preacher's kids can get neglected uh, mm. by their preacher dad because of the demands that are on his life. So that would be the negatives of it. But, I enjoyed being a preacher's kid, and then uh, I received the Holy Ghost when I was 16, and uh, I've been married for 40 years, and have been blessed with four children that are all involved in the work of God. My oldest son, Jared, is pastoring in southwest Louisiana in the Lake Charles area. Uh, Brandon is the assistant pastor of the church that I pastor. And uh, my youngest son, Landry, is the youth leader. And then my daughter has a special anointing on her life. Uh, she's just awesome with prayer and also with, with music. God uses her with that. And uh, I have been a part of the church in Odessa for 36 years and have had the privilege to be the pastor of this church for 22 years. And so... Uh, that that brings us up to the day. I plan on being the pastor here for several more years, so we don't know how long that's going to be. Amen. You know, having such a high-profile person for a dad is Brother Pugh. Now, some may not know who Brother uh, J.T. Pugh is, but um, he is a tremendous leader, uh, led our organization in, in the home missions department, working, starting churches, uh, Christmas for Christ, did a, did a great job leading in our movement, and and uh, up until his death remained a pivotal uh, member and, and influencer. And I appreciate you being candid with us about some of these things that, that we deal with 
Uh, I did not grow up in a preacher's home, but I, I, my dad became a pastor when I was 17. And some of the challenges you talked about are definitely very real. Talk to us a little bit about how you first got started in ministry. You know, I didn't have a, a notable event that brought about an abrupt change in the direction of my life. Uh, ministry for me, uh, almost uh, all of my ministry has just seemed to be something that was an evolving process. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I started a small business as a high school student, and my goal was to spend my life developing that business. Uh, but I was attending a general conference, and Tommy Kraft was preaching that night. And um, at the end of the service, I just felt a strong need to go to the front to pray. And while I was praying, I felt God, seemed like God was talking to me about committing myself to ministry, but it wasn't it, it wasn't something that I just, you know, got up and made an announcement and picked up the Bible and started wearing suits. Uh, I wasn't running from preaching. I just simply wanted to build a business. And uh, my dad uh, was a, a unique individual. He, he, knew, he Anyway, he, he just told me, he said, Terry, uh, I think it'd be good if you'd go to Bible college a year. So I know you've got your business, and that's what you want to do. And you can always go back to it because it's it's young enough to where it won't hurt to take a year off of it, mm-hmm. and uh, and just see if God might have something in store or plan for your life. And uh, because of my respect for Him, I did that. I went to Bible school, and uh, of course, in Bible school, all the boys were talking about their sermons, and they were talking about their call to preach, and and uh, what an awesome thing it was. And I was sitting there waiting for the nine months to end so I could go back home and start, <laughs> start up with my business. Uh, <laughs> wow. But I, I just told God, I said, God, if I'm called to preach, then that's your business. Mm-hmm. And you just provide me a place to preach and provide me a sermon, and I'll go from there. And the next Sunday, the, the little I was uh, attending a small church in the Houston area. I was going to Texas Bible College, and uh, was attending. Uh, I don't know if it was a home mission church, but it was a small work. And uh, the pastor asked me if I would preach the next Wednesday night. I said, "Well, I've never preached before." He said, "Well, you know, I'd like for you to preach Wednesday night." And so. Ways that I came around and I preached and never looked back. And so that's, that's the, you know, it wasn't a, a uh, uh, just something that evolved. And mm-hmm. I just took that. If, if I got an invitation to preach, I didn't generate it. I didn't ask for it. I mm-hmm. wasn't looking for it. And uh, then I just, just followed, you know, followed that path from then on. While I was at Bible school, Curtis Young was pastoring in Baton Rouge. I went to Baton Rouge for a funeral, and uh, he walked up to me and said, I've been been thinking about you, and I would like for you to come be my assistant pastor. Hmm. And so uh, I preached my first sermon in December, and then I get an opportunity to be assistant pastor uh, in March. 
Oh, wow. So that's, <laughs> oh, <wow>. uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of how it all happened. And uh, then I evangelized for three years, and my, our first child decided to join our family. And being raised in a pastor's home, I'd seen a lot of evangelist kids, and I didn't want I didn't want to have one of those. Hmm. So I, I settled down. Uh, I just felt like it was un, unfair to a child to drag them around like that. And we settled down. And uh, I've been in the pastoral end of ministry ever since. Well, yeah, I don't, you know, and I, and I don't disrespect an evangelist who has yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's They're doing what they feel like God's calling them to do, but it really is hard on the kids. Yeah. Uh, to be in a different location. And, and when I was growing up, it was every every week or two weeks because we had revivals, you know, every night. And so when evangelists came, they came and they stayed all week. Now, uh, evangelists, things have evolved to where a lot of times all they have is a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so every, every week they're in a different place or every service they may be in a different place. And so that's really hard on the kids and if it, Anyway, that's that's just an observation. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now, who are some of the people that have impacted your life, and why would you say that they have had that kind of an impact? Man, the first one that comes to mind is a man by the name of Guy Rome. Uh, when my dad was uh, in the home missions, we lived in St. Louis, and Brother Rome was the pastor of the church where I attended. And he was a he was just a great pastor. He's a great man. Uh, and I'm not when I say great, I'm not necessarily saying great in popularity. Uh, he was he was just a, a real man, and uh, he wasn't the greatest of preachers, but he had all the time in the world for the people he pastored, and uh, some of when I think of Guy Rome, uh, I was, you know, I was a teenager, and he would stand there in the aisle with his hands in his pocket and talk to me like he had nothing else in the world to do. Hmm. And he was a district superintendent of Missouri. He was the pastor of the church there uh, in the St. Louis area. He uh, he was a district superintendent when Gateway was just getting started, and so he was all over the district raising money trying to trying to get that Bible college off the ground and yet he never uh, I never felt like he was in a hurry when he was talking to me as a teenage young man and uh, I never forgot that it, that that was important and I was a, I was just a, a kid a teenager and he he treated me like he would anybody else he was just just always had time for anybody, whoever was standing in front of him had all his attention. And um, I've I've tried to pastor like that. I'm the last one to leave the church because of God Rome. I stand there as long as there's anybody to talk to, and I learned that from God Rome. Uh, another one that really impacted me, and I don't think he ever knew it. Uh, I I told him a couple of times of the incident that really made a difference, but uh, he wasn't somebody I was around much uh, as far as on a daily basis. But uh, Jesse Williams 
was was a man that that really he, he was he was a unique individual. He was brilliant. Uh, any time, wherever he was, he was pr- usually the smartest man in the room. But he never did anything to prove to you that he was smart. Mm. He yeah. just was, and uh, he was he was humble. Uh, he was quiet spoken. He was small in stature, and he would just you know he would just kind of be there, but he could make big things happen. Hmm. Uh, you know, just, he was quiet and yet things moved all around him that he made happen. And a classic example is Urshan Graduate School. Uh, Urshan Graduate School would never be in existence today without Jesse Williams. And yet, uh, I don't guess that the majority of the United Pentecostal Church preachers know that he was the driving force behind it. He's, he he organized it, put the committee together, put it all together, and uh, there was plenty of opposition for it. But uh, it, it stands today, and mm-hmm. it's there because uh, this, this huge man, just without being pushy and intimidated, just simply made it happen. And uh, But the thing that impacted me about him was um, he and I, he was the night speaker at a camp meeting in uh, South Dakota, I believe it was. And I was uh, the the youth speaker. They had the youth camp and the camp meeting happening at the same time. Sure. And I had, I had two children. One of them was uh, an infant. And so whenever we sat down to eat, Food was flying, and most of the food that he was was uh, he didn't it didn't go in his mouth. He absorbed it through the pores of his elbows, yeah, and whatever. And so, you know, I fully understood why uh, it wasn't popular sitting at our end of the table because <laughs> you know I had these two young boys, yeah. And uh, I'll never forget the day. Uh, my wife and I and my two boys was we we got there a little earlier and we were sitting at the end of the table, and of course uh, as the preachers came, they were sitting at the other end of the table, and Brother Jesse Williams came up with his tray. He was the night speaker, and uh, he set his tray down and he looked down at the end of the table and saw my wife and I and our two kids down there, and he picked his tray back up and came down and sat with us. Mm. And that forced all the other preachers to come down and sit with our daycare. <laughs> and uh, I never forgot that. It wow. was just, he, he hmm. showed me how to treat people who can't benefit you. Yeah. Uh, just be nice to people and uh, treat people with respect. And uh, I mean, that day just spoke volumes and I never forgot that. And I, I'm not near as good as Jesse Williams was at that, uh, but he gives me a bar to shoot for. I try. I, that, that's my goal is to to always treat, especially young preachers, with kindness and with respect because that was that was a life changing experience for me as far as my thinking and priorities. And uh, so Jesse Williams impacted my life by being who he was. And then, and oh, obviously my father, and not because he was a great preacher and not because he was a great leader, 
blessed because he was a real Christian. And, you know, it's possible to be a great preacher and not be a great Christian. Uh, I think all of us have seen examples of that. Uh, hopefully not very often, but it can mm-hmm. happen. Right. Uh, but he, he was a Christian at home. He treated us with kindness. He treated us with fairness. Uh, he was he was a real Christian, and he had a uh, the driving desire in his life was to, to really be like Jesus Christ. And watching him, and watching him live, and watching some of the habits that he had in his life, uh, you know, were 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 things that that gives you something to always strive for the rest of your life. So that's the three men that uh, I would have to say just off the top of my head really, really impacted me the most in my living. Wow. And, you know, one thing that I that I just see here is, is the – is maybe more the catching rather than the telling. And so some of these things you, you know, you've talked about here, you know, it's, it's not a sermon. It's not necessarily a book. But it's more relational and and yeah. interactive, and and I think that's a a point that needs to be made uh, for us as young ministers to recognize that we may not even we may not even recognize it now, but sometime down the road we may look back, and then we will cherish those times together, uh, maybe with someone, or maybe that we just see. Uh, so talk about that a little bit, and just and and do you feel like that's correct in in assessing uh, the people that have impacted you? Yes, sir. You're you're right, brother Tapia. It is observation. And I think I think all of us, whether we're a young minister or an older minister, need to understand that when we don't know it, people are watching us, hmm. and that wow. that is something that we. I think we need to live our lives knowing, uh, and I think all of us would say, you know, I really would prefer somebody didn't watch me. I don't feel like that. I am the kind of quality of person that someone should watch. But the fact is, because we have a call of God on our lives, that really does make us different than the average bear. And, uh, we we need to understand that that when God puts His finger on us, that it puts us in a place where people do watch, yeah, and we need right. to live with that in mind because you don't know, you just we just don't know right. when we are impacting somebody for the positive or the negative, and uh, you know you're right, it's it's the watching these men is what made made the difference in my life and. Not necessarily what they said. I cannot really recall what any of the conversations were with Brother Rome, mm-hmm. and yet mm-hmm. I can vividly remember him standing there talking with me. Now I'm, I'm sure we talked about horses because he he owned horses, mm. and I I cleaned his stable for him, wow. and so I know we talked about horses, but I don't remember it. I just remember him being there with all the time in the world hmm. and uh it's it's you're right it's it's what we catch from observing people that i think really impacts us the most and i'm sure 
there there are times people say something that right, impacts. Right. Uh, but the lives that really are the life changers are, uh, for me, was observation. And, and, you know, one thing, another aspect of this is one thing that I'm trying to do more now is when I when I hear somebody, like, you know, I'm having these conversations, these podcasts, and they're all being recorded. And so this is, you know, we can, something we can look back on and and along with, you know, the interaction, we can we can remember what was said. And one thing that I am trying to do now is if I'm talking to an older minister, someone that has experience or someone that is speaking into my life, uh, I will try to, as soon as that conversation is over, just to make a note or or even uh, use like a little recording app on my phone and just speak what the conversation was about uh, so I can look back on that and, uh, and, and maybe try to, you know, remember some of those things. But, but there's, there's nothing like that, that personal contact, definitely. You know, uh, Brother Pew, talk to us about some of the challenges you faced as a young minister and, and how you overcame them. Oh, uh, I, I don't, I can't just think of a, a specific incident or a challenge that, that was, that is notable. Uh, I think a lot of what you do with a challenge is, is how you handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the number one thing is don't be surprised when hardship comes, uh, don't be shocked because something bad happens in our lives. Uh, Jesus promised us that offenses are going to come. Yeah, it, it, That's a promise. You know, we used to sing that old song, every promise in the book is mine. Well, that's one of the promises. That, uh, <laughs> that's that, true. <laughs> that uh, is true. It, you know, that we don't really don't really want that promise, but it's a promise that, that offenses are going to come, hardships are going to come. And so when they do, don't waste our time wondering why me. Hmm. Uh, That's good. We waste we waste a lot of energy fretting about how could this hardship come at me? Why is this happening? Why why I don't deserve this? Well, you know I don't know whether we deserve it or not, but it's coming. It's hitting. It's happening, and we can waste a lot of a lot of energy and time spinning our wheels trying to figure out the why of, you know, how could this happen to me? Uh, don't be surprised when challenges come. And the second thing is, is to recognize that the only way that we will grow and the only way that we will change is to go through adversity. Mm. Uh, when, yeah. thing, when things are going good, we don't change. Uh, we don't grow, but, uh, Whenever we go through a challenge, it seems to squeeze whatever we really are, squeeze it like a toothpaste. You squeeze that tube, and what's in the toothpaste tube comes out. Hmm. And when when our lives get squeezed, uh, whatever we really are is what comes out. And sometimes what comes out is not really all that pretty. But it's the only way we're going to find out what our personal weakness is, is to be squeezed. 
and the only way we're going to find out God's strength is to be squeezed. And uh, <clears throat> I don't learn a whole lot about God when things are going well. I usually discover his greatness and his consistency hmm. when things are not real consistent in my life, and he just stands there solid and dependable and trustworthy. And that's, that's the only way I really learn that is through adversity. So uh, the challenge is whatever they may be, is don't be surprised that they're coming. And number two, don't waste it. Uh, there's a lot to learn in an adverse situation, and, and we need to be looking for the, the lessons and not try to figure out how in the world I deserve go, to go through this. Amen. You know, that it makes me think a little bit and, and even just thinking about like your dad uh, and, and some of the differences he would have had as a young minister rather than me. You know, I think I may think it's a trial when my cell phone doesn't work. And 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 for him, you know, he was sleeping on benches in churches, traveling miles, walking distance, you know, riding a train, riding a bus to go to the next place to preach. We don't really have the same, does that make sense, the same intensity of like that that foundational, uh, those those trials, and they didn't even consider them trials back then. You know, we, we probably wouldn't make it back then. <laughs> you know, Brother Tapia, that's, that's true. We, you and I, wouldn't make it back then. <laughs> But I think we we need to take another another look and flip that coin over. Yeah. And that the men who were at the frontier of the movement couldn't make it now. Mm. That's that's true. Uh, I think I think we need to be fair with ourselves, and, yeah. and our young men need to be fair with themselves. We look at the pioneers and think, man. How did they do that? I don't know how they could pull off what they did. Well, that was that was uh, life during those days was tough, whether you were preaching or not preaching. Okay. Uh, you know, my wife and I had the privilege last week to to go to an old uh, an old house, and uh, that that house. Uh, was a mansion, and it was built in 1850-something. And I sit there looking at this this massive mansion, and the fact of the matter is they didn't have heat and air conditioning. Mm -hmm. uh, when it was cold outside, it was cold in the house. And uh, they had to bundle up just like everybody else, even though they lived in the mansion. And, they, you know, life was tough in those days and that was they had their culture and the men of that the preachers of that time came out of that culture they were tough uh, and they were able to make uh, bring the gospel with, with brush arbors but brush arbors were common people sold fruit under brush arbors hmm. uh, it I was a common that. thing and so you know it was it was Brush arbors was something everybody was familiar with, but they, they built them and they preached and they had the tomatoes and the eggs and thrown at them, and they were tough men, and it took that kind of man to make it all happen. 
Uh, we live in a different culture, and the young men, uh, you men come up in a totally different culture uh, with smartphones and iPads and technology and whatever, and and you come out of your culture, the young men come out of their culture, and they're able to reach that culture, uh, whereas a pioneer man with his toughness and uh, and wouldn't be able to 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 pastor a group of people that are always questioning, you know, mm-hmm. who said so. Yeah, uh, it, it it takes people from out of the culture to be able to to work with that. And so I, I I think we need to be fair with the young men too. They couldn't, I couldn't. I I you know I, I we're we're reaching back in ancient history. Uh, <laughs> say, you know I I don't think I. I could keep a good attitude with somebody hitting me with a rotten egg. Hmm. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I'm kind of in a transitional time between those men and the young men with with the high-tech stuff and the, and the culture that's completely different. Uh, God called young men today to reach this generation, and uh, and you can do it. Amen. Amen. That's good. Talk a little bit about uh, a minister's finances. Now, you have spoken before on this subject, and I want to talk about this a little bit. What are some of the key points that that we need to consider as young ministers looking at our finances? Uh, And, Brother Toppy, at the risk of sounding a little sacrilegious, I I think preachers need to need to to be honest about finances. Now, when I was growing up, the the big bear, the thing that we were all warned about is, uh, you know, the the enemy is going to try to destroy you through at through adultery and uh, keep you distance from women, and that's that that's the truth. We always we as preachers need to keep our distance from women, but I right. think the enemy the enemy has sold a lie to preachers that uh, that the vast a high percentage of preachers bought into and it's 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 damaged more preachers than adultery I mean I've, over the 40 years of ministry yes there has been a few preachers that's fallen into adultery but there is a huge number of preachers that bought into the lie that and here here's the lie the cause that you are a preacher and because that you are in the work of God, when you get old, God will take care of you. Mm. And I've been around a while and I know a lot of old preachers and at the risk of sounding really bad, I don't see a lot of old preachers in fact, I don't know any old preachers that are receiving monthly miracle checks from God. Hmm. Your finances is something, our finances is something that we have to take care of. That's yeah. in the Word of God, that we are supposed to prepare for our winter months. Hmm. That's our job. And it's a it's a, um, a cop-out uh, for laziness, and it's a cop-out for 
uh, lack of responsibility to feel like that, well, God owes me and he's going to take care of me because I have really done something special for God all my life. Just because I'm a preacher doesn't exempt me from my responsibility of taking care of my family. Hmm. And uh, it doesn't exempt me from my responsibility of taking care of my finances uh, up into my retirement years. And so what happens is a lot of preachers continue to pastor churches long after they wish they could quit. They pastor far longer than they want to, but they can't afford to stop. And uh, Or they, a preacher sometimes, and it's, it seems to have become a popular thing uh, for whatever church a, a, a man pastors, his last church, he makes arrangements with that church to continue to pay him after he retires. Well, that doesn't happen at GM or Walmart or anyplace else unless you've made arrangements for a retirement fund. And uh, hmm. and so yeah. a, a preacher will make arrangements for a church to support them after they retire, and it doesn't take that church long to realize we're, we are sending money that we could be using for a building program, uh, for repaving the parking lot, but we can't do it because we've obligated ourselves to continue to support someone who is not producing. Mm -hmm. And so it's not long uh, where that church drops that man from support and they're left hanging to try. So there's nothing we can do about that. But as young preachers, it is... It's your responsibility to to think about the future. It's your responsibility as, as young preachers to make arrangements for retirement uh, so that when you, you know, we, we all say, well, I'm going to preach till I die. Well, that, that sounds noble, but uh, not everybody gets that privilege. And we need to assume that there may come a time because of help, uh, because of mental, you know, the preachers can get Alzheimer's. Preachers can uh, have uh, strokes. Uh, mm, preachers can right. have health failure. And it's our responsibility to prepare for those things. And God expects us to uh, prepare for the winter months. And so as young preachers, we need to create a habit of saving money. Uh, that no matter what, and that, so that's one of the things that Dad, uh, Dad put into me as a kid. Uh, Terry, you pay tithes to God, and you and you you give God ten percent, and you give yourself ten percent. Mm. And no matter what you make, if you make ten dollars or if you make a thousand dollars, ten percent of that needs to go into a savings account that you never touch until. A, a major financial uh, investment or a crisis. Uh, but you pay 10% to God and 10% to yourself out of every check, and you learn to live off of the 80% that remains. And when you, you just create a habit of saving, and that habit of saving is what will pull you through. Uh, and then all of us need to make up in our mind, just decide there will come a time in my life where I will, when I will not owe anybody anything. 
that I will be 100% debt free. And um, I think every preacher, every young preacher needs to needs to do that. Uh, just I will be debt free someday. Mm-hmm. And um, with that in mind, you don't buy you don't buy the new new fancy car. You buy used cars, mm-hmm. and uh, you pay that car off. And here's a little, here's a little deal that has worked for me is when I finally got a car paid off, and it you know I, that took a while. Uh, I wasn't. It's just it just has to be a goal, but eventually raising a family and all that it's hard to do. But you, 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 it still is a goal, whether it's difficult or not. But once I got a car paid off, I thought to myself, you know, I've been living without this money all these years. So why don't I just keep living without this money? And so mm. my car payment, I just put into a savings account. It's into a car fund. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just that, that adds up, you know, for car payments, let's say that a car payment's $400 a month. Um, at the end of a year, you've got $4,800 mm-hmm. in a car fund. At the end of two years, you've got close to $10,000 in a car fund. Wow. Well, if this old car that I'm driving breaks down, well, I don't have to sweat. I just take it to the shop, and I pay for it from out of that $10,000 car fund I've got, and it doesn't affect my living. In the meantime, uh, in three years, you've got, what, $13,000 or $14,000 built up. Well, now you're getting in a position to where you can sell your old car, take that $14,000, pay cash for another used car, and continue to make payments into the car fund and get ready to buy another used car in four or five years. And uh, it's just stuff like that that I think preachers need to do instead of trying to impress each other with our new cars. I recognize that I've got a greater responsibility to my family, and I got a greater responsibility to my financial future to live within my means than to try to impress my preacher friends with my new vehicle. And uh, so we need to save on every check. We need to try to get a car paid off and put put away a car fund. Uh, If you can't pay a credit card off every month, then you need to tear your credit card up. Uh, Just credit cards will kill you because of the high interest rate. They're not in the credit card business because they love you. They're, <laughs> they're after your money. And uh, it's this my responsibility, our responsibility to make sure that they don't get our money. Uh, that's that's money that God helped me to make right. and I need to take care of it and not blow it. So, uh, a preacher needs has to take care of his own finances. I've been in this church 36 years. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest church in the world. It's made up of the finest people in the world. There's nobody better than the people in the church that I pastor. But I have to admit that in 36 years, not one time has any of these fine people ever stopped to ask me or ask a business meeting or a board meeting, how are we taking care of our pastor's retirement? Hmm. That's my job. Yeah, I've got to take right. care of my own retirement. And they're not going to take care of my retirement. They expect they take care of theirs 
they expect me to take care of mine. And uh, it's it's not out of selfishness. It's just what right. they expect. And um, so I think I think as a young preacher, you're in a position to where you can take steps to to uh, ensure the fact that you can live comfortably in your in your, in your winter years. And uh, don't expect God to bail you out. I've seen God do do miracles. I know He can do miracles, but I've never seen Him do it on a monthly basis uh, to somebody who failed to prepare themselves. Hmm. You know, and and this this is a this is something that is definitely, as you're saying, it's intentional. You have to want to do this, and you have to. Uh, and I think the easy thing to do is to to say, well, you know, my finances, uh, as long as I've got money in the bank, I'm okay. Uh, but I think going beyond that, we really have to take time during the week, you know, to look at our receipts, look at where our money's going. And one of my, one of my financial mentors, you know, I was kind of going through a time where I didn't really know what was, where my money was going. And he said, he said, keep track of every penny that you spend for the month. And then at the end of the month, Look at that, and he said, "He said, trust me." He said, "You'll start, you'll start changing some things." Do you think that's true? I think so. I've, I can't say uh, that I have followed that practice. I think it's tremendous practice because it is. It's true. When a, the end of the month is over, uh, if if you're not careful, you don't know where your money went. You don't know. Uh, it don't matter. It doesn't matter how much you make. It's how much you spend that that determines how much you have left over at the end of the month. And if you don't know, uh, if you know, that's the one thing I always track. I wasn't able. I'm not organized enough to keep up with every receipt. Uh, mm-hmm. They usually end up in my pocket, wadded up, and sweated out and <laughs> thrown away, or in the washing uh, so machine. I, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't. A, I'm not quite that organized. But I, what I would do is look at the big picture and how much is left over at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. it wasn't when that starts getting smaller. Well, then we start making necessary changes, and we just don't buy that blizzard. Uh, mm-hmm. We just don't get that snow cone. We don't buy that shirt or that pair of shoes because, uh, you know, I don't really need it. I what I do need is is money. With money, there's you can't stretch a dollar. You hear people being able to stretch a dollar. You <laughs> yeah. can't do it. You <laughs> either true. have a dollar or you don't have a dollar. Mm-hmm. That's all there is right. And so you can't stretch dollars. You either have it or you don't. And if you spend it, it's gone. You'll never get it back. Is there anything that you could you could talk to that young minister right now uh, regarding maybe he's not on staff or he is on staff? Uh, how can they apply what we're talking about here with finances, even with retirement stuff? How can they apply that today? Or is that applicable? Maybe it's not. Uh, it is. Um I've still got my check, uh, you know, the, the little register book that whenever you write a check, you write down what you wrote the check for, where mm-hmm. you keep up with your bank balance. I've got my first one uh, after my wife and I got married. 
Uh, I keep it in a drawer here on my desk. I don't look at it very often, but every now and then I run across it. And uh, there were a lot of times where, I guess, and not a lot of times, every month where our bank balance was two, three, and four dollars. Uh, we got down that low. We just, you know, we didn't make, we were on staff and mm-hmm. we didn't make a lot of money. And, uh, but we always still save 10%. Uh, mm-hmm. ever, every Monday I went to the bank, 10% of my check went into the savings account and we just figured out a way to make it on the rest of it. And, uh, and I, and I do know that God takes care of us. I do know God helps us. Uh, but I think we all, we need to be honest that there are some things we've got to be responsible for. Uh, and in our beginning years, when we're getting started and things are extremely tight and they can be extremely tight, uh, depends on what God calls us to do. They can be extremely tight all of our lives. Uh, but it doesn't exempt us from the responsibility of trying to prepare for our retirement years. Uh, you just, you, you do something, you, you save something. It may not be much, mm-hmm. but it's the principle uh, of just constantly, continuously saving every month. That principle of putting it back, putting it back, eventually pays off. It's, a, it's part of a mentality. Uh, where instead of blowing money, we save money, and we look for ways to continue to save money. Uh, you know, I, I was blessed. Uh, we had a a men's secondhand store, and I had a I was blessed that a wealthy man in our community was gaining weight at the same rate I was, but he was just a, he was a little ahead of me, and I I was had the privilege of being able to wear custom made suits mm. and he was paying thousands of dollars for them. And I was paying $40 for them. And I looked as good as he did <laughs> for pennies on the dollar. And nobody knew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was, I was wearing good friends, but I didn't have to pay the big bucks. And so you figure out ways to save money. And I've, I've still got one of those suits that I can barely squeeze into. Uh, but, you know, the, you just figure out the, the principle of saving forces you or causes you to look for ways, other ways to save money. And I think it's the principle of saving is what, what makes the difference in our lives. No matter what you make, you always have something you can put back. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com and you can also find more information on the podcast page by looking for episode 48. You can also help us gain visibility by liking our Facebook page and leaving us a comment or by rating our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening and God bless.